0: Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, Monday, August 22nd, 2022. You can receive the full commentary along with the slide deck by subscribing on our website. If you're looking at the slide deck now, you are subscribed. There's no charge for Uh, the commentary. It's also available in audio format only as a podcast on any of the different podcast formats. The presentation you are seeing and or hearing is designed for use with you, whether you are an investor or a financial advisor. Regardless, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. This is for informational purposes only. No investment advice is given. Accuracy, adequacy, or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Well, after about a four-week run of straight-up equity market prices, we finally had a down week. Of course, that is to be expected. question, of course, for most of us is, uh, how much of a down week do we have here at this point? Is it going to continue? Is this just a reprieve from a little bit of a short-term overbought market? We're going to resume the bear market of this year, which you know, made up a lot of the lost ground, as you can see here, the equity indices. Bonds also sold off and yields went higher, getting closer to that all-important, I guess psychologically all-important, 3% level on the U.S. 10-year Treasury. In sympathy with the sell-off in equities, we saw high-yield bonds give up a uh, pretty size of the chunk last week as well. Um, you know, alternative indices did what they should do, which was produce low single-digit. Um, returns on an annual basis, annualized basis. Economic data last week was mostly negative, suggesting that the economy does continue to slow down. Of course, this is the intent of the Federal Reserve with their current policy stance, which is to hike and continue to hike short-term interest rates and to reduce their balance sheet, which is a restriction or a decrease in the money supply, both of which should have the intended impact, which is to reduce inflation. Remember, the Federal Reserve has two mandates. Number one is price stability, meaning get rid of this inflation. And number two is full employment. If those two conflict, it's unknown which one they would lean more towards. Throughout my professional career, it's always been seen that inflation was the primary mandate in recent years that has been questioned. Clearly, right now, the primary focus on the Federal Reserve is controlling inflation. They'd like to do that without impacting full employment. We'll see how it goes. Let's start with the New York State Manufacturing Index. It dropped from 11.1 to minus 31.3, well below estimates. You can see on the bar graph here, that's a very significant decline in the New York State region in the manufacturing activity. Not as bad as the COVID lows, but pretty darn bad uh, nonetheless. Still, Noticing that there's been some price improvements, some relief on the inflation front, the outlook for the respondents to the survey actually improved and went into positive territory. Could this be the bottom? We don't know. Uh, Philadelphia Fed, Philly Fed, similar survey, was expected to be negative, minus five, actually came in at 6.2. So New York, New York Fed surprised significantly negatively to the downside, but right next door, Philly Fed surprised a little bit to the upside. Still, things are not rosy there. New orders rose, but we're still in contraction. Shipments rose. We're getting through these supply chain issues still. And that's helping, certainly helping the inflationary pressures. Delivery times got a little better. Employment was up. So we're going to call these two mixed, New York Fed negative, Philly Fed soft, but marginally positive. Where the real negative data came in last week was in residential real estate. But we all know that residential real estate has been a white-hot market, contributing mightily through the owner's equivalent rent number to inflation data. The National Association of Home Builders' August index fell, eighth consecutive monthly decline, very steep decline, and it finally went below the all-important 50 level, went to 49, meaning that overall sentiment of the nation's home builders has turned negative for the first time since the COVID-related shutdowns. So we had, you know, COVID juice the markets with lots and lots and lots of liquidity, jobs start to improve coming out of COVID, housing markets hot, interest rates now going higher, and people a little bit worried about the economy, turned that sentiment negative. Current sales though, still pretty strong at 57, future sales fell to 47, but here's where it's really getting ugly, the traffic. And the traffic can determine, you know, future sales. And people just aren't out looking at new homes for sale currently. Housing starts fell 9.6%, far more than expected, um, although the June number was revised from a a decline to a gain. Building permits declined, um, and so we are seeing, again, more evidence that residential housing market is turning over. To uh, further cement that evidence, we've got existing home sales for July, fell more than expected, fell 5.9%. They're 22% lower than they were a year ago. Despite that though, the market for existing homes is still very tight. The inventory is still very low, but it did rise a tad. It's unchanged year over year. Homes are remaining on the market for a very short period of time still, uh, 14 days, um, and 82% of the homes sold in July were on the market for less than a month. So. Uh, yes, the numbers are going down, and we expect in say August September, we expect the inventory to start to increase and price uh, hikes we're already seeing price cuts now uh, around around the country in the residential real estate market. let's so move on to manufacturing. This one was interesting because we breached a a level. Uh, capacity utilization breached eighty percent. Why is that significant? capacity utilization is thought to be a very good, coincident indicator with inflation. And when you get to 80, that, that adds inflationary pressure to the economy. And you can bet the Fed is looking at this and is aware of it. They're looking at every possible inflation indicator, especially ones that are leading, that suggest what, what might be coming. But industrial production rose in the country, so, so much for this big, big recession and big slowdown. Manufacturing production rebounded significantly, um, and But, here's the big big but about it. Remember, we're way behind in auto output because of the computer chip shortage. As that chip shortage problem begins to wane or ease a little bit, some of the auto production is catching up. Backing out the auto production, uh, we're only up three-tenths of a percent. So that capacity utilization, the number may not be as ominous as it looks, because this is a sort of a temporary increase as the auto industry catches up and that could start to roll over in um, coming months. Retail sales in the month of July were unchanged and they were expected to be up a tenth of a percent. Okay, fine. The big news is gasoline fell 1.8%, mostly on a decline in prices, not volume. Auto sales also dropped 1.6%. So retail sales are holding up just fine. The economy is essentially, the bottom line is, is slowing, it was at a pace that was very inflationary, the Keynesian inflationary model, and now it's slowing to a pace that is not is not yet clear whether or not we will head into recession. It seems at this point to me a little more unlikely that we'll head into that uh, recession. Uh, here we're getting some uh, relief at the pump from gasoline prices. Peaked out on June fifteenth, a little over five dollars a gallon. I know many of you, uh, like me, live in Southern California. We'd love to pay five dollars today. Uh, we routinely pay close to six now in San Diego. It was at seven a few months ago, but uh, here nationwide, we're looking at three dollars and ninety cents average as of Thursday. Uh, that's been a nice, nice, very, very steep decline, and welcome news indeed. And that will work its way partly into the inflation. Um, data. Speaking of inflation, this is the break evens, right? Difference on the yield between the tips and the nominal, and so the implied inflation rate. Back in March, we were we had this is the blue line represents five year break evens, and the orange line represents ten year. These bond markets, highly liquid, very efficient bond markets, were saying that hey, we're looking at about three point seven percent inflation average for the next five years the orange line representing about 2.8, 2.9 for the next five years. Those numbers have come down significantly, but since the beginning of July, they've started to go back up. This is something all of us are watching very closely, especially the Federal Reserve. And because of this, uh, we th- because they're rising again, think we think it's just highly likely that the Fed comes in with uh, another decent-sized rate hike. Uh, next month, or excuse me, yeah, in September, September 21st is the meeting date. So what is the future for interest rates and the Fed funds rate in particular uh, over the coming, let's say, year, year and a half? Well, here, here's where we are today. The upper target round, bound is 2.5. The implied rate is 2.33. We have a meeting on September 21st looking at going um, to three. Okay, so then you can see This is continuing to increase, increase, increase. By the way, that's about a 75 basis point hike. Um, It still could come in at 50. We've got some data yet to get, but I'd say more likely than not 75 in September. Um, Then you've got November, December, February, no meeting in January. March is according to the markets. uh, The implied high of Fed funds rate will be in March. Let's call it three and three quarters that's probably not enough to completely kill an economy. The market believes the economy will have slowed enough significantly by then that there will be enough concern about the possibility of recession that uh, they will begin to start cutting rates as early as may. And believe me, when you see market action, they're really looking at this, and how, how far it goes, and then obviously, hikes. this is obviously, you get, you get out to March, starting so seven months away, anything can change, employment data, Uh, Inflation data, uh, demand data, trade data, geopolitical events, uh, all of these can impact this a a lot between now and then. But this is the curve as of this morning, interest rates likely to peak in March. Okay, what's going to hold them there? Jobless claims and employment. Initial claims for unemployment came in last month, or last week, rather, at 250,000. That was below the estimate. That is a sign of an incredibly strong and healthy labor market. So, uh, until that number breaches 300, and we had seen it come up and rise, now it seems to be flatlining, I think the Fed is clear to continue to raise interest rates. If that number starts to rise, this weekly clinch for unemployment, then the Fed will be saying, well, wait, we've got two mandates, right? We've got the employment mandate and the inflation mandate, and then there'll be questions. As long as they're given the cover, the all-clear sign, the Fed will continue to keep those rate hikes coming to combat inflation. And obviously, continuing claims for unemployment are still very low, 350 million people in the United States. We're looking at about 1.4 on those continuing claims for unemployment. We got a report on business inventories for June. They were up 1.4%, not a lot to talk about there. Uh, But the conference board's leading economic index came out um, for the month of July. And as you can see here, we've had several months in a row of negative, meaning uh, this is a leading index. It's predicting continued slowdown weakness in the economy. When it really starts to shoot higher, gets above zero, it's expected, uh, predicting more and greater expansion. You can see when we came out of the COVID shutdowns, huge gains, obviously that, was, that led to, you know, the bottlenecks, supply chains, et cetera, lots of economic activity. We overstimulated our economy on a monetary basis, on a fiscal basis, slowly trending lower, and now we got a little negative. That's taking off some of the inflationary pressure. So what's about to happen in the equity markets? This is the, the $64,000 question we all wanna know. Um, well, we had a big run, and last week's sell-off, and then here we are this morning. I'm looking at my monitor; we're down again uh, as we begin this week. But you know, when you look at this from peak, uh, you know, January first, second, third, to the trough here mid-June, it's a 23.5 percent decline in the S&P 500. It was a little oversold, and then of course it ran up about 17.5 percent here to just about a week ago. Uh, and from an RSI standpoint, relative strength index, it was probably a little overbought. So makes sense. We got the correction last week. We're starting off this week with a little bit of one, two. Um, it all comes down to this. our valuations right? And this is the S&P 500 forward Bloomberg estimated PE ratio of 18.4. Well, that's not overly high. It's certainly not overly low. It's almost Goldilocks, about right. And it's about right though, because you come up with these valuations based off of both earnings estimates and interest rate estimates. So uh, you take what you think the S&P is going to earn and what you think the yield, the risk-free yield is in the 10-year U.S. Treasury, and you come up with these valuations. The market's pretty good at doing this, but it also can adjust quickly to developments Earnings estimates continue to stay very high. The consensus of analysts that report into Bloomberg on S&P 500 companies believe the forward earnings are going to be $227 a share. That's barely below the peak of just about $230 a share from a couple weeks ago. And earnings season is essentially over where we would have gotten the forward guidance and gotten those cuts to estimates. So... That justifies the market rally, keeping it where it is, not taking it down. If we were going into a deep, dark recession, those earnings estimates could go down 15, 20, 25, 30% even, and that's when you see um, the market really start to roll over. But you also have to discount those earnings, create that valuation based off of what you can earn without risk. That's the U.S. 10-year treasury. And the U.S. 10-year treasury yield continues to remain Essentially, very low. Go back here to the, say the turn of the century, two thousand. Yield on the ten-year treasury was close to seven percent. So you were you know to decide to invest in the stock market, you would look and say, "Well, I could get seven percent risk-free." Now it's true we got down all the way to a half of a percent in twenty twenty with the COVID related shutdowns. But in the real- but in reality today at three percent, we're actually at the peak, really close to the peak of two thousand eighteen. We got to about three and a half a few, you know, a month or so ago. You know, we kind of peaked at 3% 2013-2014. And essentially, we're at about the high of the 10, of 10 years. And that's still very low. So interest rates have been low for a very long time. That clearly, as long as earnings stay high and rates stay low, that justifies an 18 multiple on the S&P 500. and doesn't seem like a compelling reason exists to get out and uh, sell stocks today. Data this week, we've got Chicago Fed, that comes right after the Philly Fed, New York Fed from last week. Consensus was for negative, actually came in positive this morning, so I'm happy about that. S&P Global's US manufacturing and services, PMIs, uh, right at that borderline, right? 50, below 50 would be contraction. So we're right there, 52 estimate, 50 estimate. New home sales looking to come in at 575. Durable goods, pending home sales expected to be down. Jobs claims great number if it comes in at 252 remember we got that report on the second quarter gdp it, it shrank at an annualized pace of 0.9 minus 0.9 that's expected to improve a little bit when we get the report on thursday personal spending and income both expected to go higher and then we get the all-important pce personal consumption expenditure inflation data on friday looking for a monthly increase of 0.1 and that there's some folks out there suggesting even be possibly be negative because prices have really started to roll over. Uh, but the consensus now is for a point 0.1. And then Michigan Consumer Sentiment will be out on Friday as well. Don't forget to subscribe on your pod, favorite podcast format. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back to you again in one week.